For the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D A L E Y review.com. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Tonight, we're here to discuss the season finale of the fourth season of NBC's This Is Us. This episode was called Strangers Part Two. This one was a nice bookend to the beginning of the season when we had Strangers, I guess, part one, though they didn't say part one, I don't think. It introduced us to people like Cassidy and Nikki and even Baby Jack. And now all of those people were back in this episode, though playing different levels of importance, I'd say. Do you call Baby Jack, Baby Jack? Like? Grown up Baby Jack? Like when I call him on the phone, or like, what do you like when? No, you, like mentally, like when you when you register his face in in your in your optic yeah. Nerve. I think I'm going to continue to call him Baby Jack. Is it kind of like how we call our nephew Baby Max, Baby Max, even though he's not been a baby for like you know ten years? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that in this case, it's like what was I tried to call like Jack original Jack, like calling him something like OG Jack, or I try to think of him as like Jack Sr. And this is like Jack Jr. But like, that, I know that's not right, but it's like not, nothing really fits. Baby Jack just seems to be the only thing that fits. I also think of him as Baby Jack, but on my notes, I have him as grown Baby Jack. <laughs> Very elegant. Grown Baby Jack. That's grown. Funny. Mature. Right. Mature Aged Baby Jack. Baby Jack. <laughs> That's funny. Let's jump into this because we have other Jack to talk about. Adult, senior, original Jack and Rebecca to talk about. They are having a rough go, Paul. They are really feeling down on the baby's first birthday because they're they're sad thinking about the baby that they have lost. This was kind of an interesting construction to this episode because usually they they save birthday stuff for the first episode of a season. You know, that one is always supposed to coincide with the big three's birthday. But here we were looking at Jack's, baby Jack's birthday, the actual baby Jack's birthday, and mixing in big three birthday stuff, right? Even though chronologically it doesn't really like synergize, but but they wanted that that imagery, you know what I mean? I think it does synergize, but it isn't chronologically accurate. I mean, the imagery matches. It's just... just The dates aren't important. It was just about being at these different people's birthdays. Mentally, it caused me a little snag. Oh, it did? You like pooped your pants? Yep. I pooped (gasps) my pants just a little bit about it, got it cleaned up, came back, watched the rest of the show. Well, way to go. Yeah. Way to rally, Paul Jr. You're not. You're Paul II, huh? That's how it goes. It's like Paul II, but it's like you're not Paul Jr. You're not a junior, but you are a second. I'm not any kind of junior. So is this the second time that Jack has called on Dr. K or is that first time that I'm thinking of later in their lives? Because this is only their Ooh. first birthday. I know that he, I know Dr. K has been back he once before. Go, I think, don't they go back and visit him when they're in the hospital when the kids are probably about eight, maybe? I want to say it's when Kate has her appendix out mm. and they kind of wander down the hall and visit him then. Maybe. I want to say. So yeah, I mean, we have had some drop-ins on Dr. K. But this is probably the first time since they were born. I think so. What did you think of Dr. K's advice about tragedy and the best times? Is it true that really in your heart, they end up just needing to live side by side? You can't really leave the bad stuff behind. I mean, he was offering very mature advice. If we, and then when we look at 
Jack and Rebecca, since we see them play all different ages, it's sometimes hard to remember that in this case, they're actually pretty young and inexperienced people, especially Rebecca. She's, what do you think, 20 in this, 22-ish or so? So getting this kind of hardcore life advice is something maybe she's never had to approach before especially not on the scale of having lost a child. I think that this is such a hard thing to know what to do, especially having multiples and having two living, one adopted and one who did not make it. I think it's hard to know how to handle those milestones, how to know when to celebrate and when to mourn and how do those things go together and how do you move forward like that? I I think that it's similar in the special needs community. We talk about this kind of stuff all the time where it's like you might have two twins where one is severely challenged, one is not. And there are certain times when you're like, you're very happy for certain things. And at the same time, you're kind of mourning, you know, simultaneously. When we brought home the girls and the girls were maybe even before that, we had family members asking questions like, so Would you consider their birthday the day they were born or the day they were supposed to be born? It's like weird stuff like that. It's like, I guess people just aren't really born knowing how to handle these kinds of things. So turning to an elder makes sense. I think also knowing that he lost a baby and trying to figure out like, especially again, in the case of multiples, the baby died the same day that they're celebrating their birthday. It's not like he died a week later. He died this same day. So do you go to the cemetery on their birthday and be sad and mourn Kyle? Or do you celebrate the living children? And how do you like have those things simultaneously happening? It's complicated, right? It's not about other types of tragedies. It's about this particular type of tragedy where on the same day, a wonderful and the best thing and the worst thing happened in your life. What do you do? How do you handle it? Do you agree with Dr. K that they have to just kind of cozy up to each other and you have to just realize that the song he sang that he danced with his daughter at the wedding is the same song he sang to the baby who died. And that can be the same song and you can still sing it. It's the only path forward for people. If you don't, I think you'll go crazy, right? It reminded me of when Sophie was talking about her mom at the at the coffee shop and she felt like she could never go in that coffee shop again. And it's like if you start doing that where you start Xing off places like I can't go there. I can't sing that song. I can't do that. I can't celebrate their birthday because that's the day Kyle died. Your life would get very small and very sad. And you just kind of have to realize that every place is going to represent good times and bad. You know, every day is going to there's some things by the time you're older, if you think about it. Every day of the calendar would have something that something good and something bad probably happened on it. That's true. You know, so you kind of just have to get used to, you know, what that looks like. I mean, this time of year is a perfect time for us to kind of talk about that. Given we have Easter coming up. This is a time when a lot of families are normally together. This is also for us this year in 2020 going to be a time when many people are going to be sad about not being together, having to kind of deal with being confronted with that being happy and excited, especially for people who are religious and they're celebrating their religion and yet sad that they're not with the people they're normally with. Or, I mean, you could even go further out and be like, well, next year, this is going to be the one year anniversary of some family member that died. Exactly. You made an excellent observation while we were watching this about how Jack was treating Dr. K. What it seemed to me was that Jack is... He's not fully formed as like the Jack that we know that delivers all the good speeches and all that yet at this point in his life. He's not that Jack yet. What does a young man do when he is at a loss for what to, how to handle his, his family or whatever? It's not uncommon that they would turn to their father, but his father 
It's not a part of his life. And I thought the way that he was held Dr. K in such reverence, respect that I thought he was treating him like a father figure. Do you agree with that? Yeah. When you looked over at me and you were like, this show has such a pattern of people looking for father figures and that father-kid relationship and how important fathers are. Really more important in this storyline, if you look at Rebecca and her father versus Rebecca and her mom or Jack and his dad versus Jack and his mom, like the mom really plays a backseat to most everything in these stories. Even look at Toby and Kate. It's like all about how Toby's not doing the right thing as a dad for the baby. You know, Mm -hmm. there's like a lot of that going on. I thought that you pointing out that pattern of like, where did Jack ever find a father figure? And where did he where did he learn how to give speeches? Mm-hmm. I'm Dr. K. So they introduced a new doctor in this episode, Dr. Eli. And at first it was a little confusing why Dr. Eli was in on the scene. We watched him seemingly train a horse with his daughter, we're assuming. We get that little nugget. And the little girl says basically like, you haven't even given him a chance to show who he really is. That sentiment carried over when we found out that Dr. Eli had a reason to be here with us. Not just because he raises horses, Paul, and he's hanging out here on the ranch. No, he's a doctor. And not only is that, he's an OBGYN for Madison. Madison, who guess what, you guys? That one night stand turned out to be a 18-year commitment. <laughs> a double. Oof, a double. Were you shocked when she said it was twins? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I know that multiples run in families, obviously, but... Um, but that would have nothing to do with it. Men don't have anything to do with the multiples. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Paula. <laughs> That'd be some pretty bossy sperm, though. They'd be like, they get can... another egg down here now. <laughs> right. What are you talking about? Oh my god! Yeah, no, not so much. We run this womb now. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Anyway, Madison, pregnant, twins. Who's the father? It's Kevin. Kevin. That's my Kevin. Kevin McAllister. Kevin. <laughs> it's not really my Kevin Kevin McAllister as much as it's my Catherine O'Hara. That news comes out in the middle of Baby Jack's first birthday party. That whole party, oi, my belly. Oi, my belly. We were getting ready to head to that party, and Randall is sitting over there talking up with Beth, and Beth's like, mm-hmm. And he's all, why you been mm-hmm me? She's all, because you know what's going to happen when we get to this fucking party. She doesn't say it, but she implies it. We're both big Beth fans. Um, I love Beth so freaking much. Was there anything she could have done besides damage control? Or was it just Randall was just a freight train at this point and there was nothing that was going to stop this? Here's the deal. Damage done. That night he stayed up that night and he, and he had talked to Rebecca. That was the damage. And from here on out, she was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. She knew that Kevin and Kate were going to find out. She knew that there was going to be a huge blow up. She just didn't know when exactly. But this was a very logical time. I adored it when she could sense that the room was starting to have an issue there. And she's, Rebecca's like, I have some news to tell you. Damn, I forgot that thing in the other room. <laughs> and she just like turns and like runs out. Oh, that was so good. So funny. She was like perfect comic relief. And also like perfect like that's oh she's the best friend you want to have man she's just perfect when shit's gonna hit the fan and she knows it's hitting the fan because kevin sleuths it out i don't think that kevin 
gets enough credit for being able to solve problems. I mean, he he doesn't need to solve that many because he gets by on looks and charm and that gets you a lot. But Randall, I think, overlooked the idea that Kevin would be able to puzzle this out as quickly as he did. Exactly. I mean, when that whole investment in my future talk came out and it came out of Randall, Randall's smugness at this event was so thick. Like, I don't think he could see how obvious the situation was because he had this layer of like, that's right. Mom's doing what I said to do. It didn't occur to him that anyone was going to like kick his ass, you know? He was, you're right. It was uh, like, he was being like super swagger. Yeah. And he was being like super, it's like, he was being so arrogant that it's like he just missed it completely. He didn't see it coming. We're going to get right into this argument, Paul, because I I know this was like the meat of it for most everybody. And it's something that we've all been waiting for to find out what the fuck happened that busted this family apart. Did you think that this fight was as explosive as you expected it to be? And did you think that there was actually going to be some physical blows? A, I did think that there would be some physical blows. The crux of the argument is the same that they had the premiere. It's just this time they decided to start punching pretty low blows at each other. Let's talk about what they said because it matters. Randall goes through the shit that he has gone through basically lifetime with Kevin. Dad's always been more proud of me than you. You weren't there the night of the fire. And basically, we all think your career is a joke. These are the basic three points. Do you think that was like a hard enough hit for what Kevin says back? Yes, probably regrets saying that. But he basically tore down every pillar of what Kevin thinks is important in his life. What's crazy is that it kind of feels like the premiere night argument and the comments made there, like when Kevin said, yeah, this career that you make so much fun of, it's what's going to pay for mom's treatment. That part seems like it should have almost like negated this part of Randall being able to come back and saying like, your performances are jokes, like that kind of thing. It's like it's like he had to twist it just a little bit because he can't say you're not successful in your career because he is. Yes. But it's like he decided to just like act like, well, you're actually not very good at it or we're all sort of making fun of you about how well you do kind of thing. Do you think that Kevin really felt like introducing Randall was the worst part of his life? I don't know. I mean, that's a super good question. Was it a low blow or was it sincere? What do you think? Was it just like the one thing you tell an adoptive sibling? I mean, there's one thing you're never allowed to say to an adoptive sibling. I wish they never brought you home or our lives got worse because they brought you home. So is it just pushing that one red button? I think it was pure defensive, like he had him on his heels and they were there. He was there to argue about his tactics with mom. And instead, Randall made it this very personal, I think you're a joke and I always have and you're never going to live up to dad's you know, shadow because you're chasing mine and all that ugly stuff that he said. And Kevin had nothing left except the one, one shot. One red button. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The the all or nothing. It is. It really was. What did you think about the actual scene itself in terms of emotional, like visceral, like veins popping out of heads, anger, pure rage, anger? Because to me, this was like a six on an argument scale. They raised their voices a little, (laughs) but like not even. Randall, for as mean as he got, 
it's almost like he he didn't fully engage with the argument because like he he felt so right about what he was doing with Rebecca that there was like sort of like almost this religious absolution to to treating his family like children. Yeah. And so I've got it. You you can't even touch this, basically. You know, it's like a teacher with a student. Okay. The, the nothing the student is going to say is going to rise up to where the teacher is going to actually take it seriously. Okay. Yeah. So um, do you think that's so that's why tensions didn't get as high? I mean, Randall just left. But then when he comes storming back, that's when things kind of got interesting with like the camera work and stuff. Okay. I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of arguments, they they cut. There's a camera there, camera there, camera there, camera there. And it shows like him saying that, him saying that. This camera didn't do that so much. This camera was like, I'm going to watch Randall say all this stuff and get right up into his face and, and use hand gestures right at his face, right? It's just, when you're that close to another person using hand gestures, you're inviting them to slap you, you know? <laughs> well, at least push your hand out of their face. Then when it was Kevin's turn, the, the camera, instead of cutting to another camera, the camera came around physically and changed the perspective of, of the entire shot back to Kevin. But I, I guess I'm just talking about like stylistically, I thought there was going to be more, it was going to be more frenetic of a fight. Mm. You know, like it wasn't very dramatic. For the buildup of an entire season, for six months of viewing TV, of the big culmination of the big thing that's going to bust up the whole Pearson family. The words were horrible, but I thought that the delivery was going to be equally just explosive. Mm. Given that Kevin's an actor, I don't know. I kind of think of actors as being very passionate people, can be rather theatrical in the way they might express their emotions. I'm not picking it apart, you guys. As listeners, I don't want you to be like, Caroline, what the fuck did you want? I'm just saying, just because of the anticipation of it all, I thought it would be more than a, a snipping back and forth at each other. Randall leaves. They meet back up into the, into the driveway and there's literally one back and forth. And then he goes, then he leaves. I don't think Randall- Maybe I'm being melodramatic. I don't think Randall fully engaged, which is scary considering how deep he could cut without really feeling like he needed to. If I'm right, you know okay. what I mean? Okay. Like that's scary that he would be able to, to dig so deep. Kevin's mind though, if you recall, was very had just been rocked. But then why wouldn't you even be more explosive? Like you're already at like a seven, right? Like your blood pressure is literally pounding in your ears. Well, that was different energy though. He wasn't angry about that. He was just more like emotional weight right okay so you're saying maybe that actually balanced him out it might have mellowed something i mean because he was angry about the rebecca stuff but he wasn't angry about finding out about madison i thought stylistically this was an opportunity for a very frenetic fast-paced passionate theatrical melodramatic blow up between two men who have had differing views for 40 years. And I just thought after watching six months of episode after episode, we were finally going to get this moment. I mean, tears, hair on edge, you know, pulsing veins like this is it. And instead we had what we you and I could see neighbors arguing that passionately I use in air quotes. My counterpoint is just that they shot it in this way that did feel more real than something shot more like an action movie type argument. That those are the kind of words that you could 
possibly say to someone with the expectation that you will never see them again? Maybe this is the type of thing, specifically with the thing that you say to Randall and why he could, it could have the impact that it does, is that I have to imagine this is like the Dane Cook planting the bomb and it just it's it going to be inside of him now like it doesn't go off right now he didn't even absorb it for what it was right then but in the coming however whatever the next season is it's going to fester the idea that like my family didn't want me i ruined their lives i have nowhere to be that is what the spin out is so if you jump ahead to the future in the cabin yes please then so in the in the fantastical cabin or in are you talking about the original cabin the fantastical cabin okay are you of a mind to believe that this could potentially be the first time they'd seen each other it didn't it didn't seem fresh enough between the two of them to feel totally like they hadn't been around each other in this amount of time but also clearly it had been minimal I mean, when Kevin puts his hand on, on Randall's back, I was like, okay. They've been manipulating us through through innuendo with this end yes. scene for a long time. And the, the, really the look that they give each other could be interpreted as, it's been a long time, but it also could just be like, mom's dying. This really sucks, you yeah. know? Yeah. You're totally right. So I'm not sure exactly. I just didn't think like they acted like two people who were like coming back from this fight right now. I also believe that we may not see it until the end of the next season, but I think they're going to make up. I, I think so, too. I really do. Part of me wonders if the hand on the back was just to highlight Kevin's wedding ring. Mm. Just like when Nikki goes over and hugs them to highlight Nikki's wedding ring. Ah, yes. Like there was a lot of wedding ring stuff, a lot of hand movements going on in this one. So I'm not sure if it was totally to put us at ease that, no, they're okay. Or if it was like, Kevin's married. <laughs> I actually had a little bit of an issue with the hand on the back because this is a finale and this is like a, a cliffhangery kind of potential. And I kind of would have rathered them since they just showed us finally the fight. I don't really like it that it seems that we already know they make up because then there's actually like no right. tension about the fight. They could have left it at the awkward looks. and I think they should have left it at the awkward looks because then that would have been like, did they make up? Didn't they make up? Did they? Did they not? I only had about, at best, five minutes of actual tension between the fight and when the hand goes on the back to where I'm like, oh, well, they make up. Mm -hmm. You know, where that kind of seemed like a little like, again, anticlimactic. Like, we waited that whole time and we were so worried about this fight that Randall was going to spin out for the rest of his life. But no, look, they make up five minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I understand that that represents like 10 years time, but but as an audience, part of like pulling on our heartstrings, right, is to make us wonder, oh, my God, will they ever make up? Yeah. I mean, from a, I, I like to think of this as kind of stuff like, well, can practically can the show that's been set up in this way that's planned to run for another year or two, can they actually have two of the principal leads never talk to each other for the rest of the show? I don't think so. You say that and then tell me how many scenes Randall and Kate have ever been in. <laughs> mm. Like barely any, right? They kind of already set it up where Kevin and Kate live in the same place and they have always had stuff going on together. And Randall has always had this storyline over here going on. So That's true. Not even like the children versions of them seem to no. have much to do with each other. Uh-uh. Not much. So I don't know. I, mm, I'm just giving my opinion. My opinion was when I saw the hand on the back, I thought, well, psh 
take the wind out of my worry sails. I thought we were going to be concerned about this for a little while, but not quite as much. However, I think, of course, it's all about the journey to how we get back there, right? So now we know, okay, they get to a point where Kevin can put his hand on Randall's back and Randall doesn't say, get the fuck off me, you know? That's good, but we are now we're going to get into the journey of how they get there, right? How bad is the right. fallout? What's actually going to happen with the family? It's sad, but the kinds of things that draw siblings together after this kind of thing are when parents, sick parents get worse. Rebecca is clearly passing away. This is it. Now, I mean, the big question mark is, is once she passes away, do they say, see ya at the funeral, never to come back again? Let's just take a half step to the side and talk about Kevin and Madison. Did you expect Kevin to be okay with this pregnancy or did you think he was going to be like, the fuck? No, I think he's been really building up to this idea in terms of his character and responsibility and, and all that kind of stuff. The Kevin that started the show, maybe not. But this Kevin, he's he's really earned this. The way that they say it was an unearned thing. Well, he earned this. I think that he did earn this. I think this was the right timing. The way that he didn't promise to love Madison forever the rest of their lives or anything. He just basically said, I want to be here for, my, for the kids and I want to raise my kids. And that's really what they showed us in the future. I mean, it looked like the kids live with Kevin. He does have a wedding ring on. And they did go through the trouble of showing us those little flashes. They showed us Cassidy walking in on Nikki, having a phone call with Kevin, hilariously busting his balls about the nipple billboard. <laughs> that was good comic relief. And then they flashed over to Sophie walking into the subway, peeping up and seeing that nip up there in Times Square and laughing to herself. Of course, we have Madison. So they bothered to make sure we remembered there's still three girls in the running here to who that wedding ring belongs to. The kids will tell you are Madison's. But the wedding ring, I don't know. I get the sense that things may evolve with Madison, sort of knocked up style, you know? Oh, me too. A little bit like getting to know each other while she's pregnant. That's, yeah. that's the implication of a knocked up style. That doesn't mean that they're long term. We don't really know Madison all that well, but we, we really don't. That's the bottom line. Like when if you try to guess, are they going to be you know compatible? We don't know her at all. They both seem high maintenance to me. Yeah. With them showing Cassidy when it seemed like she was done with the show. Just Sophie too, though. I mean, they had officially said goodbye. Why we got to see her walking into the subway laughing about a billboard? You know, yeah. like, uh. Yeah. So I say we've got two tracks to follow Kevin on. There's a daddy track and there's a husband track. And I don't think the same woman necessarily has to be in both those tracks. That's a lot of trains. There's a lot of trains at the station, Paul. <laughs> I do have a question for you. Yes, I have all the answers. Could you relate to Kate and Toby having this big moment on their first birthday of Baby Jack and heading over to the NICU for the Hall of Fame? You know, yes, emotionally, in that when you're going through the process of having a child in the NICU and you see it every day, you do feel like there's some need to mark your departure and your time away from it in some way. I did not ever go back to the NICU. I think you did though. Is that true? Mine was tricky because our kids did have a lot of challenges and Lauren especially, she is deaf blind. So for me, here's the thing. I did go back to the NICU with the letter that I put up as like a thank you on the big Hall of Fame board. It's the thing that like people read Basically, it's more uh, at our NICU, it was more of like an encouragement board to other parents like, hey, our kids are two years old, five years old, 10 years old, whatever. Mm -hmm. and you put up your little notes so that other NICU parents can be like, look, they did it, you know. 
However, I will say that I was very Pollyanna rosy about what the outcome really had been for our girls. I praised the staff. I said that we had, you know, happy, sweet girls and stuff like that. I don't believe I used any words like deaf blind, mainly because I felt like it wasn't the right place to like make anyone scared or nervous. This was like an encouragement board. And I just wanted to say, you can do it. You can be strong. You can be parents of challenging situations. And that's kind of where I kept it. For right or for wrong. I'm not sure if I did the right thing. I know at that, I'm not... um, apologetic for that person. I had three babies under the age of one at that point. So I'm not going to say, oh, I should have written all their medications out and all the therapies they had like that. I mean, it wasn't the time or place. And and I wasn't in a place to be advertising how our family was doing. But I do remember going there. Now, here's the weird thing, Paul, that's happened to me. And I don't know how you feel about this. But I have found that over time, I actually have less of a stomach to go back to the NICU. The time when we were going back and forth to hospitals and back and forth to doctor's offices a lot, I treated it very nonchalantly to the point where my mom and I would have a routine of going over to this pottery barn that was over near the medical center that was the only one anywhere near me. I would kind of make it a point. I'd put all the babies in the triplet stroller and we'd go stroll the pottery barn. And there was something about that that actually made doctor's appointments something to look forward to. And I was excited to go every time, which was kind of mental because (laughs) it weren't good appointments, right? But it was a way that I coped. But now and our girls are 17 and our son is 16, I had a recent appointment at one of the medical centers and I had to go and my finger was literally shaking to push the elevator butt. I couldn't be back in that hospital again. I It had been a decade since we had been there before and I couldn't do it. Our multiples group had done a fundraiser type thing for NICU parents and Lauren, our deafblind daughter, knitted with a little knitting machine, little preemie hats. And she made this whole thing and we put them in little bags. On the day it was time to go deliver them, I physically couldn't go. I actually gave them to a friend who was bringing her things. And I was like, just take ours with you because I couldn't physically be back there again. I don't know how you feel, but that's my sort of like journey from the NICU. We found out we were pregnant with our third child very, very quickly after we had the girls, only six weeks later. And at the time, it was shocking. But at the same time, there was that same feeling that Kate and Toby are talking about, about that idea that Jack needs a sibling. Ironically, our third child's name's Jack. So there was a feeling that, like, we could try this again, and maybe this child, A, would would have less challenges, um, and B, could be a sibling to our girls. And so I really did feel their longing for wanting to have a sibling for Jack. Did you, could you understand that? Did you, did you relate to that at all? But having lived through having special needs babies all grouped together, I mean, I, I joke with people, but I always say, I don't recommend it uh, as a way of, of like parenting and sanity. Do you think the timing matters here? for having a kid right away like that? It wasn't planned. It just happened. I think that's the only way a third child showed up in our life because I don't think that we would have necessarily picked it, which that brings me to the question of Kate and Toby. Like they're picking, they're, they're saying, let's, let's adopt another child. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I have seen that though. We have been with lots of other special needs families and lots of them choose to adopt. 
we have seen it lots of times or you foster or um, take in other kids from from maybe their grandparents and they take in grandkids or something like we've seen this happen. We have. There is something about it that does empower you a little bit as a parent to say, well, I kind of I know how to do this now on some level. Right. I know how to navigate the system. You know, if I do have a special needs child, maybe I'm not I'm not as uneasy about adopting someone else who may or may not have special needs because I have a little bit of a sense of what to do as opposed to a typical, you know, family who may not have any experience with special needs. I don't know where that where that drive comes from exactly, but you and I have absolutely seen it time and time again where someone has a special needs child and then they choose to adopt. Yeah, you're right. Now that you pointed out, I can think He's kind of smiling cuz he's like, I know actually a lot of families, I right? I can think of 5 off the top of my head. For people who are saying this is an unrealistic story, Kate and Toby have a one-year-old blind baby. What would you tell them? I would say I wouldn't do it, but I have seen it, and it's not as uncommon as you would think. I thought it was amazing that we actually got this little follow-through on this adoption. Were you shocked to see that Jack had a sister? That's one of the reasons I uh, like this show is that it does present things in this kind of twisty turny way and it all comes together at the end and you realize it just as it happens and so this is why i really like the show is the reveal of grown-up baby jack's sister was actually the stranger from the museum the whole time (laughs) unmask this woman did uh i'm watching this show right now paul called mythic quest right now they uh, one of the episodes i'm on is the call uh the masked man totally uh <laughs> when you're like who it is it turns out to be the woman at the museum i'm like want to say like it's the masked man <laughs> it's interesting to see that in the future it will be it will have been rebecca's influence on the family that will have given a path to those grandchildren right i love that they, they didn't make her a mechanic or a home builder. They made her a, a, a museum curator, I think, is what she probably Yeah, that's was. what it appeared to be. So, yeah, so definitely both Jack and Haley are in the arts, which is amazing. Actually, And when I think about it a little bit, they, the, the show itself does a really great job of representing the arts in general. I mean, Beth is a dancer. And we have the dance school. Kevin's an actor. We've had the theater school that they've showed us when he goes off to New York. You know, I, I think that they've done a really good job, actually, of showing how this family appreciates and they kind of push forward all the different careers that you could have in the arts. It's a cool little thread. It's very small and subtle, but I think you're right. It's very cool that that's what Haley ends up doing. Yes. Did you like Haley's personality when she like came busting in and was like all, <laughs> yeah, it's a girl. Thank God. Yeah. That was interesting. I'm what not... did you think about that? I don't because know. You, lo- you looked at me and you were like, well, what if it was a boy? What's her deal? Like, what's up? But, but yeah. Would she have just turned around and been like, well, <laughs> fuck this. I don't really, I don't really know what that was. I think that was just kind of being sass, but I liked her personality to be able to understand her personality and how full of personality she seemed to be really felt good as a partner with Jack in life. The one thing that is a little nerve wracking there, Paul Daly no Kate and Toby at the birth. And no Kate at the future cabin. Only a sad Toby that no one really expected to come. And I think no wedding ring. In this game of who's wearing a wedding ring and who's not, I thought he wasn't wearing one, right? I think that was the thing, but I I, I haven't <laughs> zoomed in on my So TV. a lot of people were like, why do we spend so much time with this Dr. Eli? 
I think he's definitely coming back. I've read that he's going to be a part of next season. I think he's going to take the place of Dr. K. Cassidy, I think, is definitely coming back next season, yes. If for no other reason than the actress is just too well known to yeah. have been such a bit player. Agreed. Like they were like, hey, come back for the finale and just take two steps up on the trailer stairs and then leave. Like, what? <laughs> right. Why would she waste her time? Why would she? How would they even schedule that or do like what? It just seems so lame. It's almost the thing that kind of thing that they would shoot while she was still there. For- Agreed. In the past, you're yeah. totally right. Additionally, people have thrown out this weird rumor that Nikki and Cassidy could be the married couple. Oh, what? What do you have to say about that? I think those people are dumb. <laughs> I agree. I think it's weird. Do you think Sophie is back in the fold or we just had to give a finale like shout out? Hey, you were in this season. So yeah, I think that's it. That's it. Not coming back in. Not the married. No. I think okay. I think she's with her much easier to love man. Oh, my God. Less complicated, eh? Yeah. Let's talk about a time jump. Is there a potential time jump? Like we're not going to deal with Madison are we going to be right at the birth of the babies, maybe? Or nope. no, 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 wait. We know where we are, right? We're at birthday. the 40th birthday party. Yeah. Okay, so if we're at the 40th birthday. We've already seen a little bit of it. Like a wee bit, right? You guys remember, if you guys are forgetting, we have the scene of Rebecca getting brought back by the cops, and it's the 40th birthday. They're at the cabin, nine-month pregnant, fiancé. So it's got to be Madison, or at least they yonseed it. Maybe they don't get to marriage. Yeah. Marriage. Right. I mean, that would be pretty quick turnaround to get Cassidy back in on the scene. Well, uh, and nine months pregnant. He calls her fiance. Ah, see, there you go. So fiance, nine months pregnant. That's got to be Madison. But it doesn't mean you get married. Right, right. But obviously something's going to happen, what, over the summer? So hold up. We go from a finale where he just found out he's pregnant, they're not together, to a premiere where she's already the fiance. Yep. Here, here's my wild predictions. It's Cassidy, isn't it? It's not Madison. It's Cassidy. Is it going to be Cassidy who's pregnant and the Yancey? No. Oh, what? I think she is pregnant. I bet Cassidy is pregnant. No, why, Paul? Because she just comes two steps up on those trailer stairs. You only get her from the neck up. Hmm. I mean, if you want some crazy shit to happen, you could have like Madison die in childbirth <gasps> or something like that. And then he's got to take care of these kids. Sort of like um, uh, Full House style. Oh, see, I'm not going with that. I'm going to go with that the Fogelmans want money, just like everybody else. They, she if needs to appear know, in episodes. Yeah. Madison, the, the actress who plays Madison, is Dan Fogelman's wife. There ain't no reason to write Madison out of this show at any point in time. I mean, that makes that's good logic. She's been in several episodes where she had no actual role. <laughs> okay, so... Any other predictions, though? I mean, we're coming in back on the... I mean, this is the big deal. We're going to come back in the fall. I think we don't see any reconciliation at least until the break, if not the end of the season. I think... I'm going to go by Christmas break. I think... The uh, first half is going to be about, like, what's the fallout? Because Randall's going to... Randall has to spin out, right? Because the words we heard from Sterling K. Brown was that we're going to see some version of Randall, like, that we've, like, never could even imagine. Well, in losing access to Kevin... And Rebecca... Well, no, he'll keep his access to Rebecca. He'll just kind of not be in St. Louis at the same times that Kevin is. But I wonder if he'll lose access to Kate. Not that that's a very important thing that we've just kind of pointed out that they never seem to spend any time together, but it's always on the table. They are brother and sister. Families get ugly with the, you're talking to him? Well, then now I'm mad at you. That sort of thing. Yes. You know? Yes. Okay. So it was, well, I mean, we know that that has to happen because Kate is at the cabin. Mm-hmm. But Kate is at the cabin. Again, remember all that talk about why'd she write Pearson on the paper? Mm-hmm. But then when we know they end up having adopting another kiddo. Mm-hmm. But 
maybe Kate or Toby adopts this kiddo after the divorce. That doesn't You're make any so sense. You're making so many gross faces at me. It just doesn't I'm make just any trying sense. to fill it out. I'm trying to fill it in. I mean, I don't know much about adoption, but I mean, if if they were divorced, yeah, and why, why would they? Why pursue? would either person end up with with an adopted kid? What agency would be like? Well, this well, divorced couple with a disabled child is surely a great candidate. One of them, you know, is is a great candidate for. Hey, I'm just trying to tell you where the story could go. What if Kate dies? And then Toby later down the line adopted the second kid. I'm, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I am of the mind that, that Kate doesn't make it all the way. It's terrible, but I am I feel like, no, she doesn't die. But at the same time, you guys, I've got nothing here. I mean, she's not in any of these scenes. So what gives? We have to wait for a very long time. Do you have any word on whether their filming was affected by Corona? I don't. I, but I do know many, many shows have been affected. So our date might get, end up getting pushed off for our September premiere. We're going to cross our fingers that that one, at least that premiere is in the can because they show bits of it, you know, in previous episodes. So let's hoping that they've had that one already done. But I don't they, know, you guys, this could be a very long wait for this one. We're going to have a lot of things to wonder about. Schedules run a lot closer than you might think like your turnaround from filming to actually premiere did you hear that the this is unrelated but this is an example of tv scheduling the walking dead season finale yeah is being pushed until the fall because (gasps) because they don't have people in the offices to finish it oh my god Yeah. yeah that makes sense For those of you who are listening to this at a later date who are like, why in the world are they talking about this? This is the time period when we're doing our coronavirus isolation. We've been doing this since March and the word is that we're going all the way through April 30th at this point. Fingers crossed that everybody's going to be safe and sane. We hope you guys have enjoyed season four with us and we hope you guys will come back for season five whenever it comes out. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Join us on our new venture called Pod Clubhouse. Come on over and listen to more podcasts from a variety of collaborating podcasters. Thanks for listening, pod people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks. Pod Clubhouse.